0: Thanks, Jono. Good evening. Uh, welcome to Uni Church. I want to add my welcome to Ben's. My name's Rowan. i uh, one of the pastors here, and what a great joy it is to come to this, the last week, uh, in the book of 1 Timothy and hear what God has to say to us. Why don't we come before God now, recognizing that His Word that we've just read is living and active, that God promises that His Word never returns to Him empty. So why don't we come to Him and pray and ask God by His Spirit to help us to see His Word and His world through His eyes. Let's pray together. Father, as we come here tonight, there's all sorts of things going on in our lives, things pulling our focus away from you, things drawing us toward you. But we're so thankful that you have spoken in your word. And we ask that tonight, that in your word and by your spirit, you would change us, you would encourage us, you would help us to understand the world through your eyes so we might go out into it as people who live for you and because of you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, in 1989, between April and June of that year, over a million students gathered together in Tiananmen Square in China, calling out the Chinese Communist Party to end its corruption. They protested to say that they wanted to end the oppression of the people of China that they'd been under. They wanted to give freedom of speech and freedom of press and to change to a democratic form of government. On the 4th of June, the party decided to respond with incredible force. They sent in tanks to stop these protests. They opened fire on the students until the square was cleared and over 10,000 people were killed, apparently thousands, and even more were wounded. It's incredible moment of this fight and people fighting for what matters. And then the very next day came one of the most influential images that we have ever seen. And it was this, tank man. The next day he walked out and stood in the middle of the road on, on the way into Tiananmen Square and stood in front of the tanks that were kind of trying to clear out people as a, as a kind of silent protest, as a protest and a fight that he wanted to take it to the government, to say, you can't do this. This is not right. Time magazine calls this unnamed man one of the most influential people of the last 20th 20th century. He had in mind a future that was better, and he was encouraging the the, the country to, to stop going the direction they were going. Let me ask you tonight, what is it that you fight for? What is it that you would walk out to the front lines to stand up and say, enough is enough? What is it that you would risk your all for? Or perhaps, what do you risk your life for day after day? What view of the future is so worthwhile for you that you will continue to fight for it, to give yourself to it? I mean, all of us are fighting for something, aren't we? A better future. A better life, better relationships, a better world. We're all fighting for something. For some of us, we might feel like our life is more of a flea than a fight. You know, we feel like we're constantly just running from things rather than fighting for them. You know, we're trying to make ends meet. We're trying to get that exam result through. We're just trying to keep our head above water. We're eating ramen every night just to stay alive, you know? We're trying to get a break from the relentlessness that life can bring. But every effort we have to, fr- to flee is actually an effort to fight for something. It's an effort to pursue something better. Every time we run away from something, we're always running toward something else. Some better picture, we hope. See, to flee is the flip side of the same thing we're fighting for. No matter what we're fighting for or, free, or fleeing from, the question we need to ask ourselves is, is that future something worth running to? Is that picture of what we think would be better or, or what we're running from and to, is that worth it? Is it worth the effort? Is it worth the energy? Is it worth our lives? For Tankman in Tiananmen Square, it wasn't worth it. No one knows what happened to him, where he went, whether he's alive or dead. But the point is, even in that protest, nothing really changed. The the protest was unsuccessful in changing the regime. So many people died, were massacred for nothing. How do you know what to fight for? Well, if we could know what the future is like if we could know what side would win and what things would endure, then surely that would help us to work out which battles we fight for, what things really matter, if we could know some picture of the end. Imagine you could know the future. Imagine you could know what would happen, which team would win. How amazing would it be? How much more boldness would you have to go, no, I'm going to live for this thing because I know what's going to happen. I'm going to do this. I'm going to run this way. How much more would you flee from the things that don't matter, that aren't going to change diddly squat? Well, as we open the last section of 1 Timothy tonight, we're going to see an incredibly profound claim that we can know the shape of the future, not every in and out of all the ways it will lay itself out. But what we hear in God's word is that we can have certainty. A certainty of destination. A certainty of where this world is headed and what it will look like and who will win. And when we recognize that, it helps us to understand what is worth running away from and what is worth fighting for. So come with me to verse 14 as we look at our first point tonight called the future. Point number one. The future. 1 Timothy 6, verse 14. I charge you, Paul says to Timothy, to keep this command without fault or failure until the appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ. Whatever Paul's going to say to Timothy in this last bit of his first letter to him, he wants Timothy to have the appearing of the Lord Jesus Christ as a peg in the sand, a stake in the future that he's to live towards and look towards. And whenever you look at whatever Paul says throughout the Scriptures, that the consistent theme of Paul's life, the thing that pumps through his veins, the reality that controls all he does and says, is the reality of the return of Jesus. It's the reality of the return of Jesus. Jesus. For so many Christians, our focus, rightly, is on what Jesus did at the cross. where he came and lived and died and and took the penalty for us, and he's our substitute, he died in our place. And then he rose from the dead, showing that death had been conquered. And we go, that's what Christianity is about. And it's not wrong, it certainly is about that. And we get to experience the forgiveness that Jesus brought for us now as well. And that has a profound effect on how we live and the amazing reality that we can Speak to God as our Father, and we can live life now with some sort of purpose. But all too often, have you noticed that's where we stop? We don't think much about the return of Jesus. I don't know if you woke up this morning going, Whew, one day closer. Jesus is coming back, and today's one day closer. You got up on the calendar on the wall, crossed it off, and went, One day closer to the return of Jesus. This is life, this is what it's about. But I take it from what Paul writes in the New Testament that that's kind of what he, what he thought. The way he, he, he thought about the whole world in this age was it's a short blip until the return of Jesus that then goes on forever. Hear his words in 1 Timothy 4. He says this, it's on the screen. I solemnly charge you before God and Christ Jesus, who's going to judge the living and the dead, and because of his appearing and his kingdom. The appearing of Jesus and the kingdom of God is what drives Paul. So he solemnly charges Timothy to live this way. Titus 2, 13, while we wait for the blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Or Philippians 3, our citizenship is in heaven, he says to the Philippian church. As we eagerly wait for a Savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ. Look, Listen to Jesus' words himself in Luke 12. You also be ready, says Jesus, because the Son of Man, which is his name for himself, is coming at an hour you don't expect. Or John 14, 3, if I go away and prepare a place for you, I will come again and take you to myself so that you can be where I may be also. Revelation 22, verse 12, look, I'm coming soon and my reward is with me to repay each person according to his work. This future, the reality, the return of Jesus is what drives Paul. It's what drives him to what is worth fighting for. It's what helps him to think about what things he ought to flee from. And what he says to Timothy is to keep this front and center in how he runs his life. He calls Timothy to live as someone who is different. Verse 11, 1 Timothy 6 he says to Timothy, But you, Timothy, man of God, flee from these things and pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, endurance and gentleness. Right. Timothy is seen here not just as another person, another fish in the sea, another person in the world. He is to be a man of God. I take it that means he's not to be a man of the world. He's not to be living for the things of just the here and now, but to lift his eyes to the reality of Jesus coming back and how important that is, to live for him. He's to be a man who lives for God. I wonder, how often do you think about yourself as a man and a woman of God as opposed to being a man or woman of this world? To think we ought to be different. There is something different going on, that there is a reality greater than the here and now, that the here and now is so quick, so short, so brief, that the logical and rational thing to do is to live for what is to come, to live for the God who has made us. So, with that in mind, Paul calls Timothy, his young protege, to flee, to flee. But you, man of God, Flee from these things. Now, it would have been really helpful if you'd describe what these things were at this point. You're kind of like, what are these things? Don't just say these things. Give me the list of things to run away from. That would be really, really helpful here. And he doesn't kind of outline it, but let me show you the things that he's talked about so far. Let's just go backwards through the verses. Verse 10, be free and flee from the love of money. Verse 9, run from the desire to be rich. Paul describes the desire to be rich as, as foolish and harmful. Verse 5, flee from the thinking that serving God is a way to material gain. That if you come to God, that your life will be better, that you'll be healthier, that you'll be rich in this world, and that if you come to Jesus, you'll have health, wealth, and prosperity. Flee from that view. That is not the reality. Verse 4, flee from an unhealthy interest in disputes and arguments over words, trying to pull people to your particular view that is over and against what God says in his word. Flee from envy, from quarreling, from slander, from evil suspicions and constant disagreement. And verse 3, flee from teaching and doctrine that does not agree with what Jesus has said and that does not promote godliness. Paul says to Timothy, this leader in God's church, flee from these things. Run from them, things that will pull you away from God's future and God's plan and God's kingdom let me ask you tonight what are the things that are pulling you away from God's future and God's plan and God's kingdom what are the things in your life you find yourself being captured by that aren't to do with what God has done and who you are in him where are you flirting with the present flirting with an age that's going to pass away spending your time and energy maybe it's scrolling through facebook it's looking at reels on Instagram. It's, it's, it's YouTube sucking you into the best thing. I, I saw a thing on my phone that said that I had looked at my phone one day this week for six hours. Now I was driving somewhere and I was talking on it for a bit. And so I'm like, okay, it won't be all of that. It was probably about an hour's worth of driving. And maybe another hour and a half worth of phone calls that were there. Six hours. And what have I got from that? Nothing. What things are more insidious, trying to just pull you away from putting Jesus first, from seeing the goodness of God's kingdom? Run from them. Flee, says Paul to Timothy, and Timothy to us. It's not that we're not to enjoy God's creation. Oh no, quite clearly, Paul tells us that God has richly provided all things for us to enjoy in verse 17. That the world that God's given us is something that we get to enjoy and get to be part of as we recognize the Creator who's given them to us and as we enjoy His creation and relationships He's given us, but not as the focus of life. No, those things Psalm 19 tells us are to point us to the reality that the heavens declare the glory of God. The skies proclaim his handiwork. The goodness of creation shows us there is a creator. And he loves us and he's good. And he's coming back in Jesus to give us a world that will not perish, spoil or fade. That is kept forever in heaven for us. They're a foretaste of what is to come. Now we're to enjoy God's good creation. But we should never pig out on the entree. You should never kind of go to the buffet and just eat all the entree at the start, then the main comes out, and it's great. And we miss it because we're so full, we don't even think we need anymore. We're just done with whatever came out first, that stupid garlic bread stuff. Always fill me up with carbs, and I don't eat enough meat at buffets. Well, I want to eat the meat and go to re- recharge. Yeah. No, Paul holds out to Timothy that this world is fleeting, and the way we to think about the world to come is to think about the way we use what God's given us. And so we've already spent some time last week looking at the way we use riches, but in verse 17, listen to the future focus of what Paul says to Timothy. 6 verse 17, instruct those who are rich in the present age. And by the way, that's us. We're in the top 2% of the whole world, right? So it's us. Instruct those who are rich in the present age not to be arrogant or to set their hope on the uncertainty of wealth, but on God, who richly provides us with all things to enjoy. Instruct them to do what is good, to be rich in good works, to be generous and willing to share, to store up treasure for themselves as a good foundation for the coming age, so that they may take hold of what is truly life. If you want to live life to the full, Paul says... Then invest in the coming age, invest in the kingdom. Use your time, your talent, your energy, your your skills, who God has made you and the opportunities you have on this earth to point people to what matters, to the future hope that is to come as we enjoy what God has given us now. One of the things i found in my own life is that there seems to be some sort of tie between my heart and my hand when it comes to money. My hand is kind of the area that, you know, I want to be generous and give. My heart is the bit that's like, I'm not sure I want to do that. And so sometimes there's this tie between them where you you kind of, they're connected. It's not until my heart is kind of a bit more trusting in the kingdom and and is focused on the kingdom to come that I'm then able to open my hand and go, yeah, I want to be a bit more generous. And, And sometimes when I'm able to open my hand just a little bit more, it kind of forces my heart to be more free to give to the kingdom. Sometimes you have to pry open your hand in order to open your heart so that you might be changed and walk away from the love of money and the security that this world brings to invest in what really matters. See, whenever you're in church or anywhere and and we hear the call to give to God's kingdom and to be generous, we need to hear that call as an incredible gift, an incredible gift to give. Now I hear myself saying that and I'm like, nah, like, are you serious? Or you're just saying that because you get paid by church. Of course you're going to say that. <laughs> but it is a gift. See, whenever we hear of a need, whenever we hear of a, some sort of financial or time or resource need for the gospel calling us to give more time, money, energy, it's challenging, right? But it's a gift because what it's doing is it's saying, just open your hand a little bit more so that your heart may follow, so that your heart might release its grip on this world and think about investing in the next. And time and time again, as we give more, as we go, ah, oh, I'm not living for the now, as we let go of the things that we're holding onto on this earth, on this planet, whether they be dreams or possessions or materials, as we let go of them, we show our world and our hearts that we're living for an age to come. As Paul points us towards the future he's just described, he implores Timothy and us to store your treasure in the age to come, to fix your eyes on that horizon. Don't be so short-sighted. Don't reduce your horizon down to just the 80, 90 years you're going to live in this life at best. Look to what will last forever forever. Spend your time, your energy, your money, your life with the return of Jesus in mind. Well, focusing our eyes on what we ought to focus on helps us to flee the things that we shouldn't hold on to. And that's why Paul calls Timothy to pursue what lasts. Point number three, pursue, pursue. Verse 11. But you, man of God, flee from these things and pursue righteousness, godliness, love, faith, endurance, and gentleness. What he says is, as you look to the age to come, pursue the things that will last, and that is being like Christ. Righteousness is not perfection, but it's living God's way, going, hey, I see what Jesus has done for me, I see Jesus holding out, this is the best way to live. So live out that family likeness, work hard at pursuing it. It's the same thing with, with godliness, being like God, being shaped more and more into his likeness. Not in order to be good enough for God or in order to, to kind of think we can earn our eternity, but in response to the forgiveness we've been given. I've been forgiven for my rebellion against God. Why would I muck around in it again? Why would I stay there? No, say no to that and trust God. That's why he says, pursue faith. Pursue faith. Faith is trusting, relying, depending on God and His Word. Not in our own deeds or our own perfection or us being good enough for God, but the fact that Jesus has done it for us and that God will come back again and that Jesus will judge the living and the dead. And So as we look forward to that reality, as we trust in God's Word, we're to pursue love because we've been loved. Not for love's sake. Everyone's like, oh yeah, love is what the world needs. Love is all you need, right? No, but because we've been loved we ought to love God. He's the primary one we're to love and because we love him, we're so captured by who he is and what he's done that flows out it's to we we love his creation, his people. But it's not easy. And so Paul calls Timothy to pursue these things, to keep running, to keep going. And the last thing that's quite interesting that's there is endurance and gentleness. Endurance we get. Keep running. But gentleness? Well, why is gentleness something to pursue? <laughs> One of the things I've found in my own life is the more unsure about something I am, often the stronger I state the point. Right? If you're in an argument, you're not quite sure on your point, what do you do? Just say it louder. People will think, oh, he's really convinced of that, right? Do you ever find yourself doing that? You're in some discussion and you're not really quite sure, so you just repeat your point again louder and louder, until the other person's like, okay, okay, and they kind of finish there. Generally, the louder and the more arrogantly and aggressively we put a point forward, the less confident we are in it. A little tip for anyone who's listening to anyone in sort of a discussion. But if you ever come across someone who kind of is confident in something... There's a gentleness, there's a sitting back and they can let someone talk and then just ask questions about it. And they don't feel challenged like their identity is on on the line. They're able to just speak the truth and ask questions and help people work through things. I think that's the sort of gentleness Paul has in mind for Timothy. To not be aggressive and argumentative like these false teachers that are there in the church, but to sit in the security of the future that God has provided for us. Speaking the truth in love. One of the great um, privileges of being a pastor is the privilege of doing lots of wedding prep with couples. Now, now mostly Andrew and Christy do the wedding prep in church at uh, at this point in time, but Sarah and I have done lots of wedding prep with couples, and one of the things I love is hearing the story of how the couple met. You get to hear that, oh, they met here, and and my favorite stories are the story when um, one person in a couple was in love with the other, but the other one wanted nothing to do with them. Right, And you get to hear this story of, oh, you know, what happened? How did, how did you win them over? And, and one party, they kind of talk through, well, you know, I saw how great they were and I wanted to follow after them and see them understand how great I was, but they hated me and they kept kind of going away. So I sent them flowers every day for five years. And, you know, then they called the police and then they finally were sorry and we were in jail. And then suddenly at dawn, they really loved me, you know? you like, you see the pursuit of love, Here, Paul says to Timothy, pursue Christ's likeness like that. In fact, even more than that. Pursue the parts of your character that are walking away from being like Jesus to see them come back, to see them be more like Jesus, to win over our character and our nature, to be more like him. If you were to look at your life now, and think through your character and nature and and the things that you're fleeing from and the things that you're running toward, what things do you need to pursue to be more like Jesus? What parts of your character are just kind of drifting away from being like Christ and drifting toward being like the world that we live in? It'd be worth thinking, what is that? And if nothing comes to mind right now, perhaps you're not thinking through it. You're not thinking about how can I be made more like Jesus tomorrow than I am today. You're not setting out some things you really want to work on. I want to encourage you tonight, write down the question, what am I pursuing in my character and my nature to be more like Jesus at the moment? Share that with someone that that you've come along with or someone that you, you trust and go, hey, I'd love you to be praying for me in this. Depend on God in that and really work hard at the reality of being made more and more like Jesus as Jesus by His Spirit and through His Word, makes us more like Him. While we pursue gentleness and Christ-likeness, Paul calls Timothy to fight. Point number four, the fight. It's not just any fight that we're called to here. It's certainly not fighting for the Kiwi dream, or fighting for a life of of comfort and material gain that might provide some temporary kind of joy, but then end us in eternity away from God. It's not to fight for doctrine that doesn't accord with what God's Word teaches, what Jesus has said. No, we're called to fight the good fight. What is the good fight? Now, you might be someone here who you love fighting, Maybe, maybe, maybe you just love watching UFC or WWF wrestling and you're like, yeah, and you want to do that in the Christian life. you want to smash the bad guys and the good guys as well. It doesn't matter as long as we're like, you know, we've gone well. You know, you're the, you're the person that's always looking to, to pick the fight, quarreling about things that doesn't really matter. You know, you're sitting here and you're like, I'm not that. You're wrong saying that about me. Well, look at you, you're in the fight already. Here we are. We're chatting through that. If that's you, that's not the fight Paul is talking about. But perhaps you're more on the other end of that fight register. Maybe, maybe you hate conflict. If there's any sort of fight or any sort of conflict, you want to shrink back from it. You don't want to cause a stir. You don't want to upset the apple cart. Paul says to Timothy, there is one fight everyone must make sure they do not shrink back from. And it's the good fight of the faith. It's the fight that's worth investing in your life in. The fight that is worth standing up for, to walk out in front of the enemy and say, no, this is enough. There is a future that is better and a king who is better than this. It's the fight of your godliness. It's the fight to trust Jesus' word over your own, the fight of God's kingdom. In Ephesians 6, as Paul writes to the same church Timothy is amongst, he says this, For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, the authorities, against the cosmic powers of this darkness, against evil spiritual forces in the heavens. That's the fight that's going on. Satan is prowling around right now saying, yeah, 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 there's all that stuff that's coming in the future, but look at this awesome thing now. He loves to make much of the here and now that is so temporary and fleeting. And so we focus our eyes here and now. We forget about being made more like our saviour and king. We're like, no, I want to be like the people in the world. And we follow these influences and we, we try and influence and say, yes, I've got life together. Look at me. Fight, says Paul, the good fight. The fight that says, no, Jesus is king and he's coming back again. And I'm someone who's turned my back on him naturally. But Jesus died in my place and offered me life. He's he's given me now a relationship with him. His spirit lives in me. And so I'm going to fight to be made more like him as he brings me more and more into the, the likeness of his son. I'm going to fight to proclaim the news of Jesus in the world around us. I'm going to flee from the things that are pulling me back. And I'm going to pursue the things of God's kingdom. Paul tells Timothy to flee to pursue, to fight, and to take hold. Point number five. Verse 12. Paul says, Take hold of eternal life to which you were called and about which you have made a good confession in the presence of many witnesses. Here again, at the end of this letter, Paul has in mind the end. The driving heartbeat of all he says and does. What does he say? Take hold of eternal life. Let that reality be so front and center for you, it shapes the way you live. And notice, he tells Timothy to take hold of it. It's work that Timothy has got to do. He's got to hold on to the the salvation that's been given. He's not working to achieve salvation, but there's this compatibilism going on where God has done the work. And yet God, through Paul, tells Timothy to hold on to what God has done. Don't think that you don't need to hold on. Don't think you don't need to put effort into making sure you pursue, you fight, you flee. We need to make sure we do that. And the way we do that is by fixing our eyes on the eternity that is to come. Take hold of that picture. He calls Timothy to recall the confession he made when he first turned to Jesus or or when he became an elder in the church. We're not sure which one it is. But he tells him to recall the confession that he made when he trusted in Jesus and declared that Jesus was God the Son and that he rose again and that he's coming back again. Remember that reality and what you got when you turned to Jesus. You might be here and you might have been a Christian for just a few weeks or months, maybe a couple of years Paul's encouragement to you is keep holding on. Keep holding on to that reality of what Jesus has done, offering you life forever. Don't wander from Him. You might be here and have been a Christian 10, even 20, maybe even 30 years. And you might be feeling tired and a bit like, a bit over it, a bit like the same stuff that God keeps saying, but He says the same stuff so that we actually hold on to it and listen. Remember back to why you trusted Jesus. Keep on going, keep running, keep fighting, keep fleeing, keep looking forward to the future God has in mind. And he calls two witnesses before Timothy. Number one, God, in the presence of God who gives life to all, and of Jesus Christ who gave a good confession to Pontius Pilate. He, he calls these two witnesses. And he says, God is watching. He sees your life. It's worth it. What you do doesn't go unnoticed. God sees it, and it matters. It's not meaningless. And the second witness or example is is Jesus, who confessed the reality of what he was here for, who lived for the kingdom even up until his death. Listen to his confession before Pontius Pilate in John 18. It's on the screen. "'You are a king then,' Pilate asked. "'You say I am a king,' Jesus replied. "'But I was born for this.' I've come into the world for this, to testify to the truth, that everyone who is the truth listens to my voice. At the moment, it would have been so easy for Jesus to say, ah, nah, don't worry about it. Oh, yep, my bad. Give me a few whippings and I'll just go home. But no, he stands there and goes, I was born for this, and I must speak the truth. There are so many voices in our world calling us out to say, come and follow me. Come and take my ideas or my views and listen to me. Put them into your life. Be the controlling center of your life. But what Jesus does, his good confession is, the word of the Father is my word and my word is truth. I was born for this mission and so I will hold to the truth and walk willingly to my death when the world will then see as I rise again that I am the King of kings and Lord of lords. And I will come back to judge the living and the dead. What would it look like for you to live a life with Jesus as your source of truth? With God's word so central that it shapes your priorities, your goals, the the way you act, how you treat others, what you view about yourself and the world. The moment Jesus declared he was truth was the moment he set in motion his death in our place. And in a sense, he says, I was born for this, So too we who trust him have been born again into the same mission and purpose. To live for the kingdom. To point the world to the truth of God's word. See, if you're convinced of Jesus' truth, you'll be committed to Jesus' mission. If you're convinced of Jesus' truth, you'll be committed to Jesus' mission. And so Paul charges Timothy and us to take hold of eternal life. Look at verse 14 again. I charge you, keep this command without fault or failure until the appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ. And then Paul kind of stands back and has this little moment. I like to imagine him kind of bursting into song as he he says this next bit. Look at it in verse 15. He, talking about God and the coming of when Jesus comes back, He is the blessed and only sovereign, the King of kings and the Lord of lords who alone is immortal and who lives in unapproachable light, who no one has seen or can see. To him be the honor and eternal power. Amen. It's like a little kid has just walked into a lolly shop and for the first time seen wall to wall cabinets full of lollies and their face is like lit up. They're like, look at all this sugar. As Paul says, I encourage you to keep these commands without fault or failure into the appearing of the Lord Jesus Christ, he's like, Jesus is coming back. This is amazing. It's this moment of of pointing his mind to the reality of what it will be when we see what no one has ever seen or can see of ourselves, but God in his fullness, in his splendor, in his greatness. God is the only one who is the true king, the king of kings, the Lord of lords. He's so different, so other and so, Paul, as he encourages Timothy to live this way, he says, Look to the future. Imagine what it will be like. One of my favorite times of the day is the hour just after sunrise or just as the sun rises, and the hour of light just before it kind of goes dark and sunset. Those two hours of day, I love it. I don't know if you've ever had the experience of, of kind of seeing the sun rise and it being cold, and as the sun rises, it kind of lights up with a warm glow of all of God's creation. And you kind of stand there as the sun hits that first light and you feel it on your face. And you feel the glow and the warmth and oh, how great it is that a new day dawns. And you get to see more of God's creation and be amazed at it. Uh, a few months ago, we got to spend some time in Wanaka uh, for holidays. And we decided that we'd, um, we'd climb Roy's Peak. That's the, the peak that's in the, the Recharge men's banner. We're like, yeah, let's get there. We'll, we'll climb that. It's 1.5 k's vertically over 8 k's distance. So That's pretty, pretty steep. But we decided that it'd be great to get to the lookout for sunrise, which meant we got to get up you know, at least two and a half, two hours before the sun rises and then walk up this big hill so we could be there as the sun rose. But I tell you, standing there as the sun came up and as it, as it hit all of God's creation and as the warmth hit our faces, it was amazing. It looked like this. Here's a photo. Right, that, that's us. And as that sun came across the horizon, it was just incredible. And I thought to myself, if that's how God starts every new day, with his glory rising as the sun comes, imagine what eternity will be like. Imagine how he will start the new age. When we get to see him face to face and we get to approach the unapproachable one, the king of kings, the Lord of lords, and get to be with him. How incredible will that be? But that won't be our only joy and hope. See, while I was standing up there, it was was a great view to have. But the thing that also kind of amazed me was actually seeing the reflection of the light on my kids' faces. So here's Ethan. As the sun came up, I kind of saw the light hit him and all our kids were like, whoa. Again, like kids in a lolly shop. They were like... This is incredible. I've never seen a sight like this as the sun comes up and hits the the kind of snow and you get to see some of God's glory and splendor. It was incredible to watch their faces and see the joy on their faces as they felt the light of sunrise hit them. I want you to imagine for a moment what it will be like on that day we come face to face with Jesus. I want you to imagine not only the glory of seeing God, which will be incredible, but also the reflection of the glory of God in the faces of those you've shared the news of Jesus with. As you look alongside to those who will be beside you, left and right, who you've told about Jesus, you've, you've shared that hope, you had boldness enough to say, hey, this is why I believe, and they've trusted in Jesus, that they, as they stand there and are in awe and amazed at the King of kings and the Lord of lords, that you get to share that with them. Can you imagine what that would be like, standing arm in arm for all eternity? The joy of their experiences of no more mourning and crying and pain, of, of seeing Jesus as he really is, of, of no more sin, no more evil, no more groaning, and that to last for eternity. Friends, that is the future that Paul is captivated by. It's the future he wants Timothy to be drawn towards. It's the future Paul wants me and you to be drawn towards, like a moth is to light at a stadium So we are to be to the glory of the King that is coming at Jesus' return. And so Paul finishes his last point, point number six, with guard. Guard what has been entrusted to you. Don't miss out on the glory of God. Don't miss out on sharing the hope of the gospel, this truth of the gospel with with those around you. Make every effort to listen to the word of God, to sit under it, to explain it and teach it and proclaim it because it will change people's eternity. It will change your eternity and sometimes we guard the word of God so carefully that we lock it up and put it away in a safe and never bring it out for the world to see but that's not what Paul has in mind and that's not how the gospel is guarded. And the gospel is guarded by Paul encouraging Timothy to proclaim it, to speak it in and amongst the world so that people might see the light of dawn that comes with Jesus' return. If you're here tonight and you've not yet put your trust in Jesus, can I plead with you that there is only one way to experience the goodness of relationship with God forever? There's only one way to escape the realities of what we all deserve for turning our backs on God, and that is coming to Jesus and asking Him for forgiveness, trusting in the news of who Jesus is and what He's done, and recognizing that life is best lived for that future in relationship with God. Can I encourage you tonight? Stop flirting with this world. It's so temporary. Stop thinking this world will satisfy. It will not Come and see who Jesus is and what he offers and put your life in his hands. Write down on your connect card tonight, hey, I want to talk to someone about Jesus. Come and chat to me or someone afterwards and go, hey, I need to find out more about this because I want to be part of that. <laughs> and if you do trust Jesus tonight, can I encourage you to fix your eyes on the glorious brilliance of the light and coming of God? to look forward to that day and let it shape you so you might know what to flee from in this life and what to pursue, that you might flee from sin, pursue godliness and fight the good fight, live with everything that you have by letting go of your grip of this world and holding on to that which lasts forever, taking hold of eternal life. Paul says, this is my command, this is my encouragement, trusting in God's grace to me Won't you live your life for the kingdom that will not end rather than the kingdom that is just a fleeting moment? But I encourage you tonight to ask God to help you live for his kingdom that lasts forever. Let's pray. Father God, we're so thankful that you do speak to us left to our own, we would be so infatuated with this world, with a world that does not deliver, with a world that does not endure. We would be so hell-bent on serving ourselves, but you have freed us from that by showing us the reality of who you are and what we were meant for and what true life is. By your Spirit and through your Word tonight, would you grip us? Show us where we need to flee from these false senses of security to flee from the arguments and the quarrels and the things that aren't lasting and and where we need to pursue being like your son would you help us as a church community to encourage one another to keep building one another up so we might be made more and more like Jesus would you send us out into your world pointing to that reality of Jesus' return when all things will be put right when there is no more mourning or crying or pain would you help that to be the focus of our lives and the future that captures all we are so we might live for you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. You've been listening to a sermon recording from Auckland EV. We hope you found it helpful and if you'd like to find out more about Jesus or about church, we'd love to get in touch. So check out our website at aucklandev.co.nz for more details. Thanks for listening.